Hello, and welcome to a special installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we usually discuss movies, TV shows, and anything else pop culture. Today, we'll be winding back the clock to the early 2000s to revisit a trilogy of movies that pretty much helped cement the Marvel brand into the mainstream, and perhaps one of the main reasons of the existence of the MCU. We're talking, of course, about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy starring Tobey Maguire. Back to 2000, folks. Wind the clocks back. We got Y2K and we got Spidey. Oh my gosh, my hair is back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not thinning anymore. God bless. (laughs) Better days were behind us. I didn't even know what a bill was in 2000. Yeah, where were you now? Uh, What is this, 15 years ago? Let's see. 15 years ago exact today. I was probably in therapy somewhere, I think. (laughs) Wow. I actually don't recall. Um, I was definitely, what, nine? Maybe almost ten years old? Yeah, Spider-Man was 2002, the first one. Yeah. Nine, ten-ish for us. Definitely nine, right? Because we're talking May 3rd, 2002, which, oh my gosh, that's that seems like an eternity ago at this point. May the third be with you. May the third be with you, too. <laughs> and with your spirit. <laughs> yeah, uh, 17 years ago. I don't remember the other movies that came out in that time. But this is one that stuck with me all these years. This is I kind wonder. of like the, you know, the baseline, the the yardstick for measuring, like, origin stories for superheroes. It is, and I feel like between this and the X-Men movie, which I think is always the one I overlook because technically that came out first two years prior to Spider-Man. Yeah, but Um, I didn't start off with X-Men because it was a bit more serious. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like To me, looking back, it seems like both of those movies came out in the same year, but definitely wasn't the case because I think X2 came out in 2002. Which is that one I recall a lot more than seeing that first X-Men movie. Yeah, I, X1 I right. was a little little trippy with, like, the Frogman and, like, the, the Statue of Liberty plot. The tight-clad leather costumes <laughs> on all the heroes. Early Hugh Jackman, too. Yeah, I, everybody really, like, puts a lot of the credit on X-Men for starting up um, the Marvel conversation into the mainstream. But I feel like it's actually Spider-Man just because it's the one that stuck the closest to the source material. Like, if you were to actually take that character, put it in live action. Exactly. Uh, And can we just set the stage, I guess, why we're going, turning the clocks back, not just uh, for the heck of it, but because this should be leading into the new Spider-Man coming out December 17th, that we want to look at each one of the Spider-Men that have graced us with their own trilogy or series of movies since we're anticipating seeing them again. Or so the rumors say. I don't know. 
I don't know what's a rumor anymore. What's a deep fake? <laughs> what's like the truth? Like it's all it's too much out there. Yeah. Well, regardless of whether we're going to get Toby or Andrew back, I think the the thing we can say for sure because of what's been confirmed is we'll get at least their rogues gallery uh, play a factor into no way home besides that i feel like it's it's kind of always good to kind of look back on some of the stuff that's led to the content that we're enjoying today um it's stuff like that that kind of led me to discover the original star wars trilogy back after i went through the prequels it, it just it feels a little odd right because i feel like when i was growing up i would hear um older folks talk about how how cool it was to live through the original star wars trilogy and this is what I kind of compare this to, right? Because we were pretty young when the first set of Spider-Man movies came out. I think being nine and ten years old, it's like the the very like cusp of starting to understand the world a little bit, like right by the coming of age, uh, age so to speak. So it's it, it's definitely nice to kind of go back and take a look at these movies now, you know, in my in my late twenties, <laughs> and just kind of see what very uh, late twenties. Very late 20s. <laughs> uh, no, I. that's a great point, and I completely agree. I think that I've always been jealous of people who are like, oh, man, when we lined up at the theater for Star Wars, it was a special thing. And I was always like, oh, yeah, I mean, I remember lining up for Revenge of the Sith. Uh, it's not the same thing. This was like our Star Wars, though. Like, it, it, you, you can't tell me a kid who went to see this who didn't go home and, like, pretend like t- they had, like, web slingers coming out of their wrist. Or, uh, like, pretended to float around on a skateboard like uh, Green Goblin. Like, this was our Star Wars, which is kind of sad to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like the, the media support and all that was really, really good for that time, too. But let, let's let's get into, I guess, the meat and bones of this. Because uh, just to kind of recap everyone, and I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this podcast either, you know, has some recollection of that, uh, of those movies or... At the very least, they're readily available <laughs> through uh, through digital download. You know uh, what? On demand. They are not on any free streaming platform, or like not on any streaming platform right now. You have to pay to rent them right now, which is kind of crazy. They're pretty cheap, though. Um, That's not the point. I'm already paying <laughs> so much for these services. Just get the rights. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just just hold on until 2023. We're supposed to get all of the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> Perfect. <on Disney> Plus. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> No, but th- this was, I think, um, and just to kind of summarize a little bit about the the plot for the three movies, it's it's hard to condense all three into. Yeah, give a me like six plot. hours worth of plot right here, please. I got you. I got you right now. Let's do. <laughs> so I think this series to me seems like the most grounded of all the Spider-Man films that we've gotten. Um, all of these that were directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, you know, this original story just kind of tells the story of Peter Parker from like high school student all the way through his college life uh kind of living out what i like to think of his best worst life in new york city kind of like broke like most of us native new yorkers uh this uh trilogy didn't shy away from you know tackling some of those iconic spider-man villains we're talking green goblin doc ox sandman venom um and even including some of the villains that we were almost kind of promised we were going to get uh, to introduce and just obviously after Spider-Man 3 just kind of went away but we had Dr. Connors in the mix we had Man-Wolf um, so throughout all these three movies it very much felt like a grounded take on Peter Parker's journey into adulthood 
his struggles, like the burden of being Spider-Man, the burden of the mantle, his love triangle with Mary Jane and his best friend. And um, really like a lot of focus went into his daily struggles of just being him, right? Like paying the rent of being broke, <laughs> that kind of relatability that I think is what really made the characters so uh, unique and kind of popping for Marvel, especially from the time he, of his introduction uh, back in the back in the comics that's a pretty good uh quick summary there um i don't think i would add anything to that i think the only thing i would maybe note uh and we can probably get into this later is that this franchise moved quickly like you you mentioned how they brought in so many iconic uh villains and i think it was because they weren't sure if like these movies are going to be well received so they kind of had to do everything from like origin story to like being in college and being an adult because uh, they didn't know if they would get more time with it. Now, when you look at like these other superhero movies, it's like they spend the entire movie on an origin story and then uh, they know they're going to get like a sequel and maybe a trilogy out of it. Yeah, I guess that's one of the advantages, I guess, and disadvantages of having a movie franchise around this time period. Like there wasn't like Hollywood wasn't quite as fixated with uh with sequels just yet i feel like that explosion happened right after this point though as soon as toby got out of the game they're like all right now we're doing it (laughs) give us sea biscuit (laughs) 2 that movie deserves a sequel and no one can tell me otherwise uh but so we kind of hinted at this but what was your intro into live action spider-man so we're both around the same age of uh, 9-10-ish years old when we saw this. Uh, what was going on and, and how did you receive it as a kid? I was a pretty dumb kid when I... <laughs> <laughs> Still um, no, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I must have been around 9 years old because we're talking May May 3rd or so. I, I don't recall exactly when I saw it. Um, I, I think I shared this on the pod before, but um, I used to I used to actually rely on, on on my dad bringing home VHS copies of movies that were either in theaters. Or... So what did you actually see when you when he brought back? Spider-Man? Oh no, I did I did see <laughs> Spider Man. It was just like my this experience... time. It was a Bug's Life. No, 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 it wasn't a Bug's Life. <laughs> By the way, I finally saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. But oh yeah, that's for that's, that's for a separate episode. pod. Yeah. Um, no, so we we. We did get to watch it. My first experience um, with this movie was not in theaters. It was actually on the smaller screen. Mm-hmm. So um, I did watch a essentially a bootleg copy of this movie at home. Uh, it was the right movie, thank God. Um, but this was my, I guess, introduction to the idea that a comic book could actually come to life. Uh, because before this, we did get Brian Singer's X-Men. But, you know, as we both kind of said... Uh, a little bit ago, the that movie felt like a very big departure from the comics, and it didn't even try to adhere to the source material all that much, especially visually. They felt kind of afraid to go there, and this movie didn't. It seemed to really embrace the concept that it was a true-to-form uh, live adaptation of a comic book hero. Um, so I think it's uh, you know it, it. I credit this movie more so for being the Renaissance. Uh, in the mainstream media about the idea you know of, of the superhero genre um, and I think this is maybe the the movie that you can probably credit the most responsibility to creating that genre yeah I mean at least for our generation like obviously there were 
a lot of different interpretations of Batman before this, but I think at the age that we were at, we were not really aware of those because those kind of felt like more adult movies. This one was like started towing that line of this can be for kids, but adults can still enjoy it. Um, and I, I'm kind of like you. I don't remember when I first saw it, but I do remember being like this was one of the more impressionable movies. Because like I said, like Spider-Man was was the best as a kid. And like you could be swinging from trees, pretending like you have, you know, web slingers activated and all that, like trying to act like the Green Goblin on a skateboard and and all that stuff. Like this was definitely one of the more impressionable movies and definitely brought me into the comic book uh, representation. So obviously I've said it before in the pod, like I've never got into reading comic books. But this is what kind of like opened me up to it. And then from here was the X-Men and then Iron Man comes out uh, not too much longer after this. So that's kind of when it all just started. You know, this this is what kind of broke the dam and let let the water out. Yeah, I think it was a success of this movie that kind of gave studios the light bulb moment where they're like oh there's money to be made here you know like had superman before which i you know a lot of people point to that and be like that's the formation of the superhero genre but i feel like that those movies were kind of one-offs at at that stage right like i didn't see a huge that and like the action wasn't ready yet to like what we could actually do on movies wasn't ready yet like this spider-man isn't perfect but he actually does look like he's like hanging from web slingers a lot of the time. Uh, and it's not like a matrix simulated looking fight. It's, it looks real. And I think this was like that perfect time for when technology could meet a potential need or, or interest in fans. And that, that interest is into the comic book genre. And it, it's also the perfect director for this kind of thing too. Cause Sam Raimi, you know, coming off of, projects like evil dead you know um army of darkness that kind of thing he used especially with spider-man 2 you got to see a lot of his um i guess a really creative use of puppeteering for uh dr octopus's arms because there's scenes that even today from this uh trilogy of movies that scene where uh, i think they're trying to remove his his uh tentacles off of his back um, and he ends up murdering the entire hospital staff Half of that scene is puppetry, and the other half is a combination of CG and practical effects. And it's such an amazing thing to see, even today, because it, it, it was coordinated so well. And it provides that horror element, right? Like, looking at it today, you can definitely tell, obviously, it's, you know, all of that stuff is fake. But it it, it sets up this feeling of um, of dread because of the way that it looks. Yeah, it did. it did have a little bit of a horror element in that, where it was like very intense for you know kids to be watching this but they knew kids were watching this so uh, it did like these this trilogy did have pretty adult themes like murder vengeance uh romance between spider-man and and mary jane and then there was political jockeying and like all of these um which is like kind of hard to follow like the business aspect but you know what's going on as a kid like it was it was well done where i think every audience could enjoy it um have you seen these movies uh lately and how do you think or if if not you know just out of your recollection uh 
how do they stack up today versus when you first uh, got introduced to them? Yeah, I haven't gone back recently. I definitely want to. Um, and to be honest, it's the the streaming. I don't want to pay four bucks for it because <laughs> I know like it's not the best movie, but um, I don't know. I I do still use it as my baseline for like, how do you introduce a superhero? Because um, I, I feel like they did a really, really good job in that first movie of, you know, doing the whole comic book, like um, watching Uncle Ben die and feeling responsible for it. Um, they captured like the, the Spider-Man essence really, really well, but they didn't, you know, live in that moment. They moved on and let him develop as, into that hero role. Uh, and then they they kind of let, let that serve throughout the trilogy, which was really great to see. But uh, I don't know. I th- There is like I don't want to be negative on it, but I, I don't know if it, my eyes are still like that innocence of watching it as a 10 year old. You know, like I can look back on it with nostalgia and probably like it for that reason. But it is really hard to look at that and then look at like Tom Holland, Spider-Man and be like, yeah, these are equal. <laughs> like, even with like a, a weighted grading scale, I don't know if it's possible to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's where we kind of differ on it um, a yeah. little bit because I, I I for the most part agree um, with your line of thinking there. The the only thing that I got to say like because I went back and watched these um, recently. It's been a couple weeks, but the, to, to me, the trilogy still holds up and and. And I know, like, people like to harp on Spider-Man 3 in particular for being too, you know, take your pick. It's too it's too grand in scheme. It's too chaotic. It's too, you know, whatever. But I feel like, as a whole, the three movies really explore the themes of Peter Parker really well. But out of the three of them, if I were to rank them, it would be Spider-Man 2 all the way at the top. It'd be Spider-Man 1 <laughs> and then Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man Two is still my favorite movie of of, of, of all time. I'm um, probably going one, three, two. One, three, two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I honestly like. I know Spider-Man Three gets a lot of flack, but I enjoyed it. I thought the like the fight scene in the construction tower at the end was really exciting. It felt a little overstuffed to me, but Spider-Man Two holds a special place in my heart forever. <laughs> I feel like that. Um, for one, was the first superhero movie I saw in the theaters with uh, with a group of friends. Uh, but also, it was, for me, uh, the story. It's, I don't know why it kind of gripped me, because it's very story-heavy. Uh, the other the other two movies have, you know, pretty now, decent Did it bother too. you that uh, Doc Ock had a very similar parallel to Green Goblin, where... It's like an alternate reality, like alternate personality that he can't control. Not entirely, because that's that's essentially what it is in the comics as well. He's just like I know, but then you're doing too many of them. Yeah, well, that I I, I get where you're coming from that because like yeah, you, literally Spider-Man one, you you just did that right, but from the comics perspective, this is exactly who he is. He's like a guy who tried to do good. He like justifies in his head that he that he's trying to do good. Uh, but he's ultimately a little bit of a crazy person. Um, Green Goblin, on the other hand, was always a straight-up bad guy. Like, there was no personality shifting in the comics. It just augmented who he was. It's kind of like taking um, an evil 
or or maybe the actual version of Jeff Bezos <laughs> and just hype, you know injecting him with goblin uh, formula. Wow. Uh, Tell that, us that, how you really feel about Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying some people keep pointing at him like he's like there goes our potential. Maybe it's Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know. All right. That's better. This just got to be a Lex Luthor out there is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, okay, so yeah, I mean, up, man. from do. a from a comic standpoint, I I guess I could see why two is your favorite um, in that stance, but I don't know. I just felt like it was so disconnected. Like I enjoyed that they made the first and the third kind of relatable. I mean, the bit where uh, James Franco becomes Goblin Junior kind of didn't make sense because like if his butler understood. That it was really his father killed himself by accident. Why would he let uh, Franco, you know, harp on trying to get revenge on Spider-Man so much? I mean, the guy's just trying to mind his own business throughout the whole movie, which he's he finally the butler. Gets mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what Spider-Man Two does so well for me, though. Like, and 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 this is why I kind of like latch onto it a lot. It's it's because I feel like that movie is the one that understands Spider-Man the most out of all of the movies that we've gotten up to this point, um, including the Tom Holland ones. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is like the ultimately, you know, for anyone who's um, who's read the comics, his biggest thing is that burden of responsibility, right? Like the belief that if you have this gift, you should use it to help other people and like, you know, your own wishes be damned and so nothing conveys that so well like this movie where he literally goes through uh just some like emotional distress and like stress overall because being spider-man is costing him his personal relationships and so when he gives it up he becomes a lot you know i guess healthier just kind of like more chilled and everything's going up but at the end he sacrifices it all to come back to the mantle that's giving him all this stress because he ultimately realizes that as much as he doesn't want to put on that suit, it's, you know, he has that gift, he should use it. Yeah, that for sure is the major, like, a, I don't know if I want to say the major, but a major theme of, like, what is Spider-Man, like, what it means to be Spider-Man. To me, the biggest part is the, like, need to keep his anonymity where he can... Like he's the, he's one of the few heroes who won't take credit for it. Like he wears the mask and doesn't give out his name, and that's why I liked the first one so much because it worked in the you know the mystery of when is Green Goblin Willem Dafoe going to figure out that you know Tobey Maguire is Spider Man and he uses Aunt May like the one thing like I can't let this get back to my family to, or the the people that I love. Uh, like that's why I liked the first one more than the second one by the way this ant may is probably the best version of ant may we're probably ever gonna get <laughs> i don't know Come i on. like i like marissa tomei but that's just me and she's she's a good um <laughs> alternate take on Aunt may for sure but i mean like if we're talking like cl- sticking close to source material i'm not like, talking about that though okay we're moving well, on from that. <laughs> <laughs> nobody does it better than rosemary harris i feel like she she really nailed that role these this was a pretty good casting, I will say. Although the the only like the only gripe I have is that Toby and Kirsten 
kind of felt too old for their role. Like when you said super senior, you aren't kidding. Like they don't belong in high school in the first movie. He's got like five o'clock shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, you know what's funny though? Like I remember as a kid being like, yeah, I think that's how high schoolers look like, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then now I look at him and I'm like, Dude looks like he should be in the cubicle next to mine. It looks like it looks like Doom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. I'm so glad though that we're kind of getting away from that in in the new not just the new movies for Spider-Man, but like in general. Like we're not we're starting to cast people the age that they should be <laughs> cast in. Right. That's such an important thing for buy-in. Um, like there's, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, this was back when there was nothing else to compare it to, so it was fine. But if you look at it backwards now, it's tough to be like, you know, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland pulled off the high school look a lot better than the, than Toby did, which is why I think it worked out for this trilogy that they quickly moved on to like the college and the grown up years, but still doing the Spider-Man role. Yeah. I'm glad that they, they kind of they did that they like really just kind of gave us the best bits and pieces that they can for each kind of stage of his life and also the i, I think honestly the biggest blessing of this trilogy is J. Jonah jameson for jk simmons <laughs> yes yes because he was so good that they didn't even bother casting a new J. Jonah jameson <laughs> for the amazing spider-man uh movies and they brought him back for the new movies yeah he killed it in this role he to me is jameson like he is he's the guy he's the guy always demanding pictures of spider-man but for real though like <laughs> I, honestly like i can't picture anybody else in that role similarly like a lot of these characters um are like that with the exception of kind of the the main right but like for example i can't picture anybody but alfred molina playing uh dr octopus um norman osborn uh played by willem dafoe it's just he, so right it is. It's such a great fit that I was um, like, I'm almost even as a kid, I was kind of upset that they killed him off in that first movie. I, I would have liked to see him a little bit more, especially since they made like Harry take over after him. Yeah. And like it, they, they followed the comic book storyline, like the, the death of Gwen Stacy stuff so close in that first movie, except they had Mary Jane in Gwen Stacy's place. And then uh, Spider-Man was actually able to catch Mary Jane in this instance. R.I.P. Emma Stone's version of Gwen Stacy. Damn. And it followed it so close after that, complete with the Spider-Man freaking out on Green Goblin and then him getting impaled by his own glider. Like that entire sequence is directly from the comics. You know who could make a good, well, a uh, good Norman Osborn though? It would have to be like you would have to kind of tailor the role a little bit for him. But Javier Bar Javier Bardem would be kind of an interesting. Like he could yeah. bring a good creepy element to like Norman Osborn trying to figure out who is the like who is Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, because he he's got this almost like kind of creepy but very like businessman like persona to him. Norman does. Yeah, he definitely would. Javier Bardem would definitely bring um, that element and then bring it up two notches for the role. But um, you kind of have to like retailer the role a little bit, like. They they made a good Norman Osborn for Willem Dafoe for Willem well, Dafoe. His voice alone, man. Like his voice alone. Those scenes where he's talking to himself in the mirror are just incredible. 
Yeah, yeah. It's that he has that presence about him that I feel like anytime I see him in any movie, I'm like, oh, Green Goblin's voice. It's just cemented in me. And like, you know, and to be honest, you know, speaking candidly here, um, Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire, I think for me are they're good. But like at no point did I feel like, oh, definitive Mary Jane, definitive, you know, Peter Parker, like nobody can replace these two. And I feel like that's kind of by design in a way. Um, either that or they just maybe I would have felt differently if they waited a little while before rebooting the franchise two times consecutively. <laughs> I, I feel like they kind of just were like, OK, for the lead, we need to sell some tickets. Uh, it's like the Yankees, like pulling in a big name from a small market. Like it kind of felt like they just took like well-known 90s actors and started like, all right, this is the 2000s. We're just going to take what's been working, who are kind of young looking, and we'll just put them in the role. It's essentially kind of what happened, you know, cause... which is why it didn't feel right, though, because it wasn't like they were picked like the role and them were calling to each other. It was just like, all right, we need somebody who can put some fans in the seats to make sure this works. So bring them in. Yeah, I put together some like notes and like some like bits of cultural impact that I thought were really notable for this uh, franchise. But one of the things oh, I listed did homework? I did. Can, can you I copy imagine? your answers? <laughs> sure. <laughs> just, just change some grammar here and there so they don't know it's the same thing. Um, no, but Colin Farrell, Heath Ledger, and Ewan McGregor were actually Sony Studios' first picks to play Peter Parker. Mm, so of that list, who would you want? Honestly, and, man, and don't just and don't just say <laughs> Obi Wan. No, no, no. I I would have loved to have seen Heath Ledger's take on. I it. think he would have been good in there. Yeah. Colin Farrell, I think, is too. I don't know. He he seems like too much of a man's man. You get what I mean? Like. He's um he 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 I, I can't see him playing a nerdy guy. You know, like it, it just I don't really know what he looks like in early two thousands, but just right picture, now with his yeah. career, I don't think I could see that either. Just picture current Colin Farrell and then subtract twenty years and you'll get what he looks like. He probably looks the same. He seems like one of those guys who like never aged, who like yeah. started out at the right look and age. But Heath Ledger, having seen him play, um, I think at that point, his most iconic role or most recognizable role would have been as a son of, um, ah, why am I forgetting his name? It would um, have been a Knight's that, Tale, right? Would it, it or would it be The Patriot? When was The I was, Patriot? I thought that was 99. 2000. Okay, so right around that time. Wow, that's two great back-to-back movies for him. Yeah. Which, I, like, I know people like to harp on Mel Gibson because of all his controversies and stuff, but that, that movie was actually really good. Um, no, but yeah, I I would have loved to have seen Heath Ledger at it. Ewan McGregor seems like an interesting choice and might have been able to pull it off, but I feel like he felt maybe a little too old even at that point. He's too British. We need New York. <laughs> He's too British. <laughs> well, you know, we've only gotten one American Spidey so far, and it's Toby. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, like it, it would have been interesting to see to live in the alternate timelines where Colin Farrell or any of these other actors would have been the ones to do it. But like s- similarly to that, you know, we had other uh, contenders for the Green Goblin role. Um, there was even rumors at, at one point that it, it might have been Jim Carrey to play the Green Goblin, uh, which would have definitely been quite a bit of an interesting uh, casting choice there. That would have been wrong. 
I, After I don't seeing know. his Riddler. Yeah, like he would have he would have done too much with it. Yeah, and it was like a role that needed to be tamed and serious. And true. You can't beat Willem. That's true. Um, but this to even get the first movie off the ground, it was in production for over 17 years. So <laughs> how's that? Wait, for is that real? for real? Like that is for real. What do you mean I, in production for like when did they so, start filming? So to, I think back in the 80s, the movie went into pre-visualization stage, which is essentially when you're like planning out a movie, just kind of like getting together with an artist to map out what the look and feel is going to look like. Um, initially, the project, I think, was over at um, it, it was passed around from studio to studio because at that point, Marvel was kind of renting out their characters to different uh, mediums just to kind of make it by. I think I had talked about this before, but in the 90s, Marvel was close to going broke, so they were really trying to do as much as as much as they could to stay afloat. And that was one of the things that they did was lend out characters. But the closest we got to something before uh, Sam Raimi's take on, on, on this movie was James Cameron's um, treatment and pitch uh, from, I think, the mid-90s. We got so far as to even get, um, I think Nicolas Cage was in the running to be uh, Norman Osborn. Like, oh, wow. I take it back. Get rid of Willem. <laughs> Nick. Give us Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Nicolas Cage has a lot of almost or could have been. The guy he, was almost Superman. No, he could have been Doc Ock. Get rid of Alfred Molina. Oh, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> These are fighting words. Hell no. <laughs> no, but yeah, I I, I think it, it definitely would have been cool under james cameron if you ever have like a spare hour or so i i would suggest you'll take a look at that script that's a for... big ask that's not I like a spare five minutes check out this youtube video if you have an hour <laughs> look up this research paper well they, they have like i don't i don't think it's complete but it they have most of the script for james cameron's take on the character mm. uh and it's so dark and brutal it's like batman meets spider-man um, if Spider-Man was half of them. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really weird. But James Cameron was the one who initially proposed the idea of getting rid of the uh, the web shooters and having it be organic webs coming out of his wrists. Which, yeah, we definitely need to talk about because it's another unique difference between this movie and the other movies. And it's very cool, but I, I think I enjoy the mechanical version better just because it's like it, it demonstrates the intelligence of peter parker it gives you a few scenes of like him figuring out how to tailor his abilities and his suit to a fight and then it also gives you a, a quick easy out of like oh i ran out of web slingers like it, it makes more drama in the final fight it does and that's what they do a lot with in, in the comics like when the, if ever you want to incapacitate spider-man you either like injure one of his legs or you take out his web shooters yeah, and then he has to get creative on how to deal with the situation. Yeah, I I did find it odd and interesting the way that they portrayed his powers, um, in this movie. And when you think about it from a biological standpoint, there's probably another place on Peter Parker's <laughs> body where the webs would probably be coming out of. Where? Um, somewhere where the sun don't shine, I guess. <laughs> if we're yeah, talking about. That would have been great for the movies. <laughs> hands up. <laughs> Why are your hands going down? 
but yeah, the, uh, the I don't think anybody else has done organic web shooters in any other adaptation of Spider-Man besides these movies. Yeah, I don't know where that would even be in cartoons, but I, I haven't really put that much time in that. Uh, this was obviously, being in the early 2000s, this kind of predates meme culture, but this definitely has like the most memeable movies, right? Oh, well, I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> that line, I feel like, is all over. The, you can't do this to me, I, I <laughs> do you know what I sacrificed for this company? Like, those are huge. Bone saws ready. Like, that's my favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> I love that entire sequence, too. Like, the fact that they stayed faithful to the Spider-Man using his powers for a wrestling uh, yeah. match just to win cheap money was great. Um, you also get the Harry Osborn eating pie and like <laughs> winking at the camera. Like these are you like these are popular memes, and I hope that people understand where they're from and they're not just like using it because it shows up as a top result. Yeah, and I I think the probably the one that was first recognized is likely that um really kind of cringy <laughs> dance sequence for yeah emo, emo parker emo parker yeah <laughs> or what do they come to call him to call him now a bully mcguire <laughs> <laughs> those are so great when they just superimpose his face on popular villain moments and the movies also themselves didn't shy away from like having these like comedic moments here and there but you know they're filled with sam raimi's you know actor roster from his previous films but in particular bruce campbell was made an appearance in each one of these movies now that that is an interesting point though because the one major thing for spider-man to be like a good spider-man is that he has to be this level of sarcasm in a fight that i don't know if it was really attempted in this trilogy i think they were more of a serious peter parker i mean they they had funny situations and and um like memeable moments but we don't have to talk about the other movies but i feel like there are there were bits missing that could have been interjected during a fight scene or something like that yeah the the, the quipping was definitely kind of limited to like a like bare bones minimum right and yeah I think Toby's version of the character didn't really deliver on that. I feel like the emotional aspects of him were the ones that were kind of like more intact. Um, who was the best quipper, do you think? Because I kind of think it might be Andrew. I was going to say Garfield has the best resume, but I think Tom Holland has the best line in Civil War with Falcon. Yeah, and I think in talking about all three of them, to me... Tom Holland is the perfect balance of the two of them. He's serious. He's like the right age for the role. He's got some quips. He uses the tech. Like, yeah, he he's a great balance. But that is coming off like he's standing on the shoulders of the of the Spider-Man who come who came before him. Like there is no Tom Holland yeah. without the other guys. I think Toby really focused on the on the Peter Parker element of the character. And I feel like on that he totally, totally nails it. Yeah. And then Andrew in the suit is like prime spider-man you know like the guy that you just put on the mask and you're confident right goes way beyond what it normally is 
Right. Um, but yeah, I think Tom balances both of those out pretty good, especially for playing a younger version uh, or probably the youngest version that we've seen uh, in live action. But coming off the heels of this too, um, this was the first time that we got to see the Uncle Ben death scene <laughs> in live action, which um, oddly enough, I think uh, we, we got the we got a version of that with Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm kind of I'm torn. Like I kind of want to see that in the MCU, and at the same time, I don't because Uncle Ben is such a huge part of Spider-Man's origin. It'd be a shame not to touch on that in the MCU at some point. Uh, but these movies did it so well that I feel like, you know, in the public consciousness, you, you still know who Uncle Ben is, pretty much. Yeah, this is the MCU version, or not the MCU, but just, just Marvel's version of the Batman's parents getting murdered. And I think it's fine to see it once or twice, but if you start doing it in every iteration, it just takes up too much time. Like, it, it's assumed, and you could be like, I can substitute Toby's scene in for Tom Holland and I know what happens. Like you, you can't really morph it into a different way of happening other than him getting gunned down by like a random robber. Well, they can just copy what Batman v Superman did and just have the death take place in the opening credits. <laughs> That's it. That's as I, much adjusting as it's going to get. I guess, but that, that feels like a, uh, a, either you go into it and you have a whole thing about it. Or you don't do it. I don't think you gloss past it. Yeah, I guess you're right on that. I feel like um, I don't know. I, I want some acknowledgement of it in the MCU for sure. But I would like him to be like have a conversation with Aunt May about it. Like that might be a different way to route it. And like, hey, we never really processed this or talked about it, type of thing. Or like, I don't know. I think they briefly did maybe in Far From Home. Maybe I'm misremembering. Um, I don't think they touched on it in Far From Home. I think there was a line in Homecoming where he said we talked about her going through some stuff recently but doesn't really acknowledge what that thing is oh okay maybe that was it yeah i think that's after he loses his suit if i'm not mistaken now how do you feel about that scene uh like the payoff they did in the third movie do you feel like that was a little lame or do you did you like it uh which one in particular so I guess Sandman was also a uh, involved in the murder of Uncle Ben. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it, he was involved. The actual murder didn't get away. Uh, but then Sandman, after destroying half of New York, uh, makes a heartfelt apology and, and then gets to go free. Yeah, that never really sat all that well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like he had a good cause for sure, but like who, who doesn't? If you look farther enough, you know, like would you steal a loaf of bread to feed your starving family? No, well, I'd murder Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take an Uncle Ben to murder, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I it it did. It's such an odd ending for. For that character, too, because like on, on one hand, like, sure, Peter forgives you. That's fine. I, f I feel like that's, you know, great, whatever. Right. But great life lesson there, too, I guess. But um, one of the, the, the thing that kind of took me off of that was the fact that this guy's still a criminal. You know, like he, he still committed a crime. He still went around committing crimes. Um. Yeah, I mean, he might be forgiven for Uncle Ben's death. That doesn't mean he's 
free from consequence still. Yeah, it just it didn't feel right as an ending. But I don't know how you end that movie otherwise. Yeah, I'm not sure either. My my one gripe about this trilogy is the same gripe I have about a lot of the movies, uh, a lot of the superhero movies around this time. They would have no problem killing off a villain, even if they have a lot of good potential for future stories. Uh, which is, you know, I'm 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 kind of I was upset that they killed off Green Goblin. I was upset that they killed off Doctor Octopus. And then with Sandman, it's just kind of like he's left alive and the dude just fades away, but they kill off Venom. Yeah, and Venom also is like, it was actually a pretty cool uh, graphic interpretation of him. But his motivations were pretty lame. It was just like the bare minimum of revenge was driving him. Yeah, he was very petty. (laughs) Um, although I'll say that it's pretty in line with what the comic books kind of detailed out too, because the the only big difference between comic book Eddie Brock and this version of Eddie Brock is that this version of Eddie Brock seemed like to be like Peter Parker's build, you know, like almost similar height, similar build. And then the comics, uh, Eddie Brock is this very swole, you know, almost no neck kind of <laughs> buff dude. So Tom Hardy's actually a really good casting man. He is. Because <laughs> I I watched this recent Venom and I was like, this seems weird that he's like towering this cop, but he's also too nervous to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 personality kind of a is a little off. Yeah, yeah. But he would I think he would have been like a great choice to play Venom back in that day. Um, or at least like somebody of that stature and presence. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, exactly. That's exactly what I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Give him every role. (laughs) But one thing I did want to touch on real quick on this is the fact that you will see Kevin Feige's name pop up periodically across a lot of these movies. I'm talking X-Men. I'm talking Fantastic Four. This guy's been in the shadows this whole time. Yeah, he was an assistant to a lot of studio execs before finding his way into the prime marvel studio seat which now is uncovered for coffee (laughs) essentially sure uh but he 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 apparently started off his career as a one of um i think he was richard donner's assistant first who was the director for the first superman movie he was the director of the first superman movie oh sorry (laughs) we all knew that so i just wanted to mention it too yes of course um yeah he 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 was he started his career from the bottom and now you know he's pretty much at the the highest palpatine exactly (laughs) he's been in the shadows this whole time yeah i'm kind of sick of fahey how could you yeah i know i i call for a vote of no confidence i don't care if you don't vote with me what do you mean (laughs) what is this this is such a surprise for this podcast it's treason then (laughs) tell me your woes and your and your laments for i don't know i think we've we've built him up too big is this is this uh are you souring on eternals is that what we're seeing in in this spider-man themed episode no no not at all i just think that like you got to go out on top and he might be nearing like he i feel like he's plateaued you might want to just hand it off and then like yeah, that way you have nothing to lose 
like you've you've dominated phases one through three, and then phase four either continues on as a success, and it's like everyone will be like, oh, Kevin Feige's legacy continues, or it crumbles and they go, see, they needed him. This is getting on a tangent though. <laughs> but you brought him up. It's true. I opened the floodgates for this. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, I'm never, um, I'm not one to say like I think he's he's like perfect. And everything that he does, I, I do feel like he has a knack for being able to coordinate a lot of these stories. I think that's his gift in terms of like being able to sustain a universe for this long. Like, I think sooner or later, he's got to produce a dud, right? Like, it's it's got to happen. And that's the thing is like, why wait around for that? I mean, I don't think anybody's necessarily waiting for him to to mess up. I, I think it's more so like, you, you know what it is like? I don't at, mean at this other people wait around. I mean, like him wait around. Like, why? Give yourself the opportunity to not quit while he's ahead. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, kind of looping this conversation into or or tying this back to this Spider-Man trilogy. Like, I feel like in the same way that these movies kind of built the foundation for what we now know as the MCU. He's essentially trailblazing it for something better that will come down the road, you know, like and, and I feel like. You know, just like with Sam Raimi, he built up Spider-Man 1, 2, and then kind of tumbled with 3. You know, if it wasn't for those efforts, we definitely wouldn't have gotten something different. And and at the moment, Feige's at the top. He's doing, I think, the best that he can with what he's got. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, because uh, I feel like, you know, th- this conversation kind of goes into a little bit more of the overall MCU and, like, the superhero genre in general. I hear a lot of talk every now and again about people saying like, oh, it's, you know, it's the superhero phase is going to go away. It's, you know, I, I don't think it's ever necessarily going away. Uh, not in the way that think that I think people want to refer to it as, but, you know, the, people forget that before the MCU, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, they weren't staple, you know, like staple names. Like they they, they were nowhere near the top 10 characters spider-man was spider-man was and has and probably will always be the face of marvel um and now thanks to the mcu we have other characters that represent that brand to a very similar level as spider-man uh and it's because of kevin feige's efforts to take a chance on characters that other people would probably say like why even bother you know and to me, I feel like that's very important to have in Hollywood because as, as as somebody who's worked in that business, it's so hard to get an original idea or something fresh or new. And not to plug like a book or something, but <laughs> I recently got that um, book set of the, the making of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, how is it? It's great. Um, it's an expensive set, but, <laughs> but it details... Uh, the the original plan and and like you know since we're on the subject of spider-man like kevin feige's job around that time that spider-man became a success was essentially to come up with 12 different ideas on 12 different characters that he still had access to because like i said before marvel had sold off the rights to a lot of their characters at that point so the x-men and spider-man were the two were Marvel's crown jewels, basically. And they were sold off to other studios, so they couldn't touch them. Um, so he basically was saying, like, all right, well, what do I have access to? I have Iron Man, I have Captain America, Thor. Characters that at that point, nobody really, you know, 
would bother to look at. Um, but he had to gather these 12 different franchises, go to investors and say, hey, I'm going to make these movies. Uh, please give me some money, <laughs> essentially, to, to do them. Uh, and he placed his bets on Iron Man because he thought it would be uh, the character that best would uh, resonate with people. And surprise, he was right. So and, it kind of shows the should, genius of and him. And he should go out on these wins. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I I would if I were him. But I, I read, having read some of the stuff that he was kind of pitching and the ideas that he's pushing forward, I feel like we need people like him to push new ideas into the forefront. Um, yeah, I think what I really want is like a way out, and I want him to be the first one, so then I can be like, <laughs> I'm out too. I I almost feel like. If he doesn't leave, I'm going to stay in this forever and I'm going to have to watch all these movies and care <laughs> about them. Like, I don't mind going to see them in the future, but I I want to be able to stop caring. Damn. OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I feel like this. Uh, there's a lot of room for people to like and, and, and dislike different characters. And uh, well, I think a lot of the dislike and this is definitely way far from the Spider-Man pod, but. I feel like a lot of the dislike is that there are probably like there are probably people like me that want a way out and they want to justify saying brand new characters. I'm out on these. I guess so. But it's also like because those same people are going to be packing the theaters for Spider-Man. And it's like you just love your original like phases one through three people. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But there's one thing that I got to go back to and that's the fact that like you know we talked about earlier about how what the experience was for us as like nine ten year olds um, watching this stuff for the first time you know there's kids out there experiencing i don't know black panther or shang chi or like some of these other characters for the first time and this is their spider-man moment you know like man they're so lucky yeah it's fantastic i I can't even imagine what it's like to grow up when these are the movies that are the norm at the moment (laughs) that's crazy right but there's so many there's so much choice and and diversity so to speak but i think um you know if they keep that up and they give us quality content with different new characters i I think we're in for a pretty good you know like ride here i i i'm with you though in in the sense that like it feels like Sometimes as a fan, it feels like you have to sort of like support the new project coming out. Um, I don't necessarily feel that way for everything. Um, but I, I but I do think that it's it's important to have diversity so that there's stuff that I don't like that somebody else will latch onto and hopefully find some enjoyment. Because I think I'm, I'm bound to run into something in the MCU that I don't particularly enjoy. Just haven't found it yet. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Captain Martin. <laughs> Dang, shots fired, Bree. But getting back to Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like to me, th- this these first three movies will always kind of hold that almost like a similar weight, like we said earlier, of of the Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah. Um, in the in the sense that they're trailblazers, but also, you know, it just it hits in a good spot for us, especially. Because um, I don't think there's, it's hard to describe the sense of being, you know, nine years old and watching this stuff for the first time. And then, yeah, and leaving the theater or leave or what, like, once that movie ends and the credits roll, it's really hard to like, as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, to be like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go outside and play. Like, th- this is what inspired a lot of like, 
hours of imagination. And for those for the Zoomers listening, uh, you'll probably just have to go Google what is imagination play. (laughs) (laughs) I remember saving up all my allowance money, my lunch money, whatever, um, to get just like one of those like little web blasters. You remember those with the giant (laughs) hands on your wrists? (laughs) I thought they were the coolest thing you could play with. And like, you know, I've seen the web shooters uh, to I think I was at Target like maybe uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, at this point. But they have these slim ones. And I was like, oh, these look so cool. Like I would have I would have been like bugging out as a kid, just like being able to play with those because I. But now you're almost a 30 year old who has disposable income. Tell me you didn't buy that. (laughs) I I did not. Although I was very tempted to. Oh my goodness, that's actually very surprising. Yeah, this is coming from the from the same twenty nine year old that bought a freaking uh, Mandalorian helmet. <laughs> I didn't want to Keeps mention it, it but properly on display. <laughs> but no, I, I completely agree. I think this trilogy was not just the introduction into like the superhero genre, but it was um, it's definitely like my my yardstick when I get a brand new superhero movie like the Eternals or Shang Chi. I'm like, did they introduce it in a way that was kind of like Toby-esque? Uh, do they give me a reason to like care about him? And do they show his struggle the same way? Like, there's a lot of like I always think about this after the after any new movie. And I always think about what collectible memorabilia would I be able to buy <laughs> <laughs> from this character. <laughs> but we'll obviously still keep talking to Toby when we bring up Garfield. Um, so next week, we're going to be talking all about the amazing Spider-Man series. Not quite a trilogy. Uh, it, as part of the prep for the No Way Home movie. Wait, is that what we're... I thought we were watching the Garfield movies. Like, I, I bought all three of them on DVD. Well, you still have time to do your homework, so you can watch something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to be for your personal time. Got it. Okay. All right, so uh, I will see you next week when we talk Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. And then we'll take a look at Tom Holland's movies, um, which, by the way, before closing all the... Now that I'm, like, putting all the, all these notes together on this stuff, like, Tom Holland has been Spider-Man for longer than Toby or um, Andrew. Movie-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, That's which, a great teaser into our third episode of this series yeah but will it be our final episode stay tuned stay tuned all right well thanks for listening